Hello, I'm so excited right now because this is a brand new extra podcast with me, Emily Ashworth, the Farmers Guardians Features Editor, where each month we are going to talk all things family, all things food, uh, motherhood and fashion. We've got some incredible people lined up, but in this first one, I am super happy to say that I chatted with Amanda Owen. Now, I first met Amanda, um, aka the Yorkshire Shepherdess, around five years ago. So it was really lovely to find out about her life right now, as the kids have grown and her new book is uh, about to be released, Celebrating the Seasons, which is part memoir, part recipe book. Um, So what's her favourite autumn dish? How does she juggle nine children and have the time to farm and write bestsellers? Um, I really enjoyed catching up with Amanda after so long um, and being a mother myself. It felt nice to know that we are all sometimes under the same stresses and under the same pressures. So if I were you, I'd go and put the kettle on and settle down because you're definitely in for a treat. Right, so apart from all the Monday Ness, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. Look, I'm literally just the same as usual, kind of like spinning plate. I've got about a thousand different things going on. So nothing really does change. <laughs> same day, as they say. So let's start with, um, you know, a lot's happened over the years. Your Instagram account, your social media, obviously is extremely popular. And it's amazing to actually see how many women's, you know, accounts are so followed and people are so loyal. What is what is it, do you think, about, you know, your account, for example, and your life that, that people are interested in? It's relatable. I've got the same old crap going on that everybody else has, and I'm not afraid to put it out there. It's awful. Sometimes your days you wake up and you're just like, ah, oh. everyone thinks you're living the dream. That's the sort of strap line. And it's kind of like broaching that line, isn't it? Between living the dream and being stuck in a perpetual nightmare. And that's everybody. That is everybody. Nobody wakes up and thinks, oh my goodness, I'm so lucky to be alive. Fortunate me. It's great. Everybody wakes up and thinks, goodness me, how come I can't possibly find three of the children's school coats? Why is that cow that I was sure was going to calve two days ago still not calved? Is there something wrong with it? It's the same thing wherever you go. It's relatable because nothing goes to plan. With so many variables, you've always got stuff going on. I think that's why people enjoy it because I'm not really standing on a soapbox. I'm not preaching anything. I'm not saying... Do it like me. In fact, quite often I'm saying, don't do it like me. Just doing your thing. And I think there are lots of women, particularly in farming, who are doing just that. Because you, because being a, a, a woman farmer, working the land, working in the rural sector, I feel like you're you're unique. You're you're sort of you're working, you know, you can be working, you can work outdoors, you can be doing heavy work, you can be doing all manner of things and and sort of really doing that. But you don't want to be stereotyped, neither. You still want to be feminine, you still want to be female, you still want to wear the bangles that upset everybody. You still want to put the slammer on. You're definitely gonna upset the sound guy by jingling them. (laughs) But you know, so you know what I mean? I feel like, you know, quite often it, it you're a little bit you're a little bit overlooked. And, and no, you know, I'm not a feminist. I'm not sort of saying any burn your bra kind of thing. 
I'm very happy. I enjoy what I do. I'm good at what I do, just like many other women in the industry. And my focus is and always has been my kids, the next generation in general, how to build them up, boys and girls, and how to make them into strong people who can carry forward this industry and do good things. Because I feel like we're going through a bit of a time where everybody is very angry about lots of things. And as farmers, you can feel a bit isolated because it's isolating at the best of times. And we're not very good at pulling together as guys, are we? You know what I mean? Hmm? No, and I think as well, you know, you're saying before about we are in a bit of a unique industry, but actually everyone, no matter what you're doing, has the same problems sometimes. It, it doesn't matter what you do or what you do for work, or what your career is. Um, you know, if we're talking about me and you, for example, we're both mothers. Yeah. We still can't find yeah, shoes in the morning. We still... <laughs> certain things unify us, but there is something quite unique about what we do in that you're usually living it. Mm, yes. You're living on the job. That is something unique. If you're if you're in a job nine till five, at least once, once five o'clock comes, everything morphs over and you sort of get a different head on. With this, you're so enveloped in it all you know, it's a bit cliche to say 24-7, but actually it's not just about sort of the momentum of what's going on on a daily basis. It can be a seasonal basis. It's just, everything's just rather different. You're so directly affected by so many different factors coming in, whether it's whether it's anything from sort of the weather patterns to trade towards the other side of the world, your pressures are coming at you from entirely, entirely different places. So volatile. And sometimes as, as a woman, you can feel like the linchpin in it all, because not only are you sort of out there living it and doing it and worrying about all the things that are going on, you're also working so hard to encourage your kids, the youngsters, that this is the way forward and to stick with it. Sometimes talking to them and saying, you know, kids ask me, I get letters from kids when I go to talks, like a couple of days ago, they'll come in and say, I want to be a farmer. You know, I, I love pigs. I, I love cows. I want to work the land. And what am I supposed to say? I say, yeah, you must do it because people will always need food on the plate. People need the countryside, all that. But in a way, I'm reinforcing that message to myself because sometimes you know, particularly when sort of it feels like the world is against you, you can feel quite isolated. So just going off the back of that then, you know, touching on what you said about, you know, you don't necessarily leave your job when you're on when you're on farm. How do you find respite from that? Is that for you writing? Is that for you getting off the farm, like off doing talks? What do you, or well, is it okay? So if you just kind of, you know, suck it up and this is what it is. <laughs> this is what it is, I, wherever you are. Even, even, I mean, even if I'm sort of away talking about it, you're still kind of reliving it and doing it. And I think that's critically important that if you're, you know, you can't stop doing it and start talking about it. You have to keep doing it. It has to, it has to sort of, it's a bit of a closed circle, really. You're, it, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. You take it with you. It's always in you. You're always looking out the window. You're always wondering. You're always asking questions. Wherever you are, I get to travel all over the place to talk about, you know, um, sheep and shepherding and the countryside and being a mother and what it's like. 
And wherever I get dropped, whether that's sort of in the countryside someplace or whether it's in a town or a city or even another country, you still have the same mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. You're looking, you're looking, you're thinking, what's going on here? What are they farming here? How are they farming? How are they making it? I was on Guernsey the other day doing a literature festival. And, you know, I was wanting to know, you want to know about the, 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 the dairy cows, what's going on there? Tell us about the goats, tell us about the industry. Are there any sheep? How, what's the land like? Everything. You know, it's, it is more than just um, just a vocation, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's every time I go and see a new farmer, farming, again, don't want to sound cliched, but it, it's kind of, it's who you are. It's in your blood. It's every fibre of your being. And, you know, you wouldn't do it if that wasn't the case. Oh, you couldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You wouldn't want to do it. It's, it's, it's a whole, it is, it is, I know it sounds cheesy. Like you say to say it's a, it is a lifestyle. And I mean, for some people who haven't been born to it, you actually set out and choose it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about it because the bottom line is, it is, it's exciting. No two days are the same. Yeah, you have these struggles. Yeah, you have the stress that comes with it. But you know, you, you haven't got the daily grind of nine till five. You are at the end of the day, a master of your own destiny. Yeah, you can't make people, you can't make people buy your sheep. You can't make people pay them off what you've got, but you can, you can do things. You're there, you're pretty much at the coalface is what I mean. And what you do directly affects your fortunes, your decisions, you know? And that can be incredibly liberating. It can also be incredibly frustrating, don't get me wrong. But I feel that that is the essence of what farmers are. We are so adaptable. We are so good at sort of being able to push forward. Well, I think, you know, as well, when you say about, you know, speaking to children and, and children, for example, saying, you know, oh, I, I want to be a farmer. We we do have a, a, we wear a lot of hats. You know, oh, hats it, like you wouldn't believe. Hats upon hats with a balaclava and a scarf too. It's, yeah? just, it's so mean, important, isn't it? I Well, I think so. Like the education side of things is something that I really, really find passionate and I get a bit of a, you know, a spark uh, doing things um, with education, but kids got to know what what a varied industry this is. Right. Oh, rightly so. It isn't. It isn't what it, it, it isn't. You know, it, it's such a broad church farming. It can cover anything from someone on a hillend with a handful of sheep and cattle to uh, a commercial unit. It can be anything and everything. It can be. It can be dog and stick. It can be mechanized. It can be, and it's always changing. It's always on the move. People's ideas are changing. I feel like we're, in a way, we're almost going a little bit backwards. We're, we're sort of, we're redressing, regressing, I suppose is the word, redressing, regressing. We're going backwards, basically. The things, the way particularly like farms like this were run are kind of being sort of championed now as maybe being the way forward. Because at the end of the day, there is you have limitations when you're farming somewhere like this. You know, climatically, you're limited. You're limited with your soil. You're limited with with 
with so many different aspects. It's 2,000 acres, but it's as rough as anything. So it's kind of like saying, well, we need to make a balance with the environment, what we're doing actually with the landscape, the view. It's kind of like going backwards. At one point, the shift was to, to sort of be more and more and more, to sort of squeeze farms like this and try and make them more productive. And I'm not talking about sort of uh, taking your foot off the gas. I'm just talking about sort of changing the emphasis a bit. I mean, if you think about the pandemic and what that did, it focused a lot of people in what they wanted to see. Uh, and I suppose in a way, the food chain as well, you know, the the, the fact that the food, the, the shelves were cleared of food, people were, were sort of surprised at finding out the journey that their food took to the supermarket shelf and how that could, was so sort of, carefully balanced on a knife edge that if everybody decided they were all going to rush out and uh, and sort of stock up the shelves then basically we, we were cleared out of food and it was like for the last few years we've been told to kind of back take a backward step with farming and concentrate on tourism mm-hmm. then the tourists were gone there was yeah. no tourists to be seen it was yeah. like hang on a minute guys we need you to be productive start farming again Forget tourists. So nobody could ever have predicted that one. I mean, we talk about unprecedented and it's a word that's been used far too much. But it was some it was kind of an event that hopefully we never ever get to see again. But since then, we've had the war in Ukraine, grain crisis, food crisis, oil crisis. And chucked into that, we've also had the, you know, the sort of uh, environmental conferences. Oh, my God. There's a lot going on. (laughs) <laughs> there is a lot going on. I mean, this is kind of the sort of stuff that would keep you awake at night because it has been so unpredictable. So I'm a big believer in doing a little bit of everything. And then at that way, you can sort of, you can sort of change, change your focus. Don't be closed down to any kind of idea, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I'm glad that you, you said that because that kind of, reflects how I feel too about you know kind of it almost feels taking a step back doesn't seem like the right phrase to use because you know we're not we aren't going backwards in terms of what we do but in terms of you know fertilizer prices everyone's now got to find another way um forwards so you know perhaps a bit of mixed farming might be coming back into play which is quite an an old-fashioned um way of farming looking at you know like you said about the war in Ukraine Oh, we we probably do need to start looking at what we can eat, you know, more locally and what we can grow in this country. It's yeah. actually quite a surreal conversation to have when when you're having it like this. And of it, kind, it is. And it kind of goes back, you know, you're, sorry, <laughs> your your you know your book about season seasonality. Of course, it is. It's not. It's not groundbreaking. It's not new. And I figured that maybe maybe what we went through in the pandemic might have. I suppose highlighted that a bit more. There was there was you know, people were, were looking at sort of the fruit pickers and what we could produce on our own shores. And you know, people were going back to baking. But I don't know. I don't know whether those lessons have been held onto or whether they're already been watered down a little bit, because now we've lurched into this new crisis that has a different slant on it that is is it's very it's very very difficult to to sort of 
to know where we're going to head next. I don't think we have much in the way of clarity as to what the government really wants us to do. You know, once upon a time, they didn't want us to farm, really. Not really. It was all about it was all about the environment. And now we're just in this sort of weird no man's land where nobody really knows. We're fortunate because we're here. We can do it all. We've got a perfect, a perfect balance. If you have the right number of cows on a farm like ours, the overwinter in the barns, they make the right amount of muck. It goes back onto the fields. You can do the hay meadows. You can do... You can do the ground nesting birds. You can do the countryside schemes. You can do the clean water. You can do carbon capture. You can do moorland restoration. But we're privileged because we've got that. And you see, I can also invite people here to come and look at the view and sell them stuff. So that's my farm diversification covered. For a lot of people, that isn't an option. So it's it's very hard. It's very hard to, to know what what really the way forward is. We should be able to feed our own people. We should be able to feed them on good quality, homegrown produce. But we almost need to wean people off the idea that they can have it all. They can have it all, all year round. And that, you know, I don't mean that prices should go up, but maybe maybe the middlemen need to think about taking a little bit of a hit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's how, I mean, they wouldn't have that. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't stand here and say, we need to charge more for what we offer. I wouldn't say that. I feed nine kids. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate because I can put stuff of my own in the freezer. I can control the meat element, which is, of course, you know, nobody's going to be stressing about whether, particularly about their lettuces or their potatoes or whatever. You can, you know... You can buy cheap. You can buy a cheap potato and not be too worried about it. But you don't really want to be about thinking about buying cheap meat and things that have got mechanically removed. Goodness knows what. So you see, I'm, I've got the privilege of being able to cover that one. But if I had to go out and feed my family at the supermarket, you know, I probably would be stocking up on lots of things and, and not so much in the way of meat. Cause that's the expensive part. You see, it's a delicate conversation, isn't it? right now yeah absolutely absolutely so that was what it was all about really it was about looking at gluts and looking at what was in season and and sort of being able to 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 make the most of it and kind of get that connection back really with the with outdoors so okay moving on to the book then well first of all how how does it actually feel to be called it's a five times bestseller isn't it you, you are a fan. I get called all kinds of things, darling. <laughs> there you go. Honestly, this is a nice I was one to be called. I was waiting for what you were going to call me then. I thought, here she comes. No, five times bestseller. <laughs> that well, you don't. You who sits? I don't sit there and ever think about that. But you I don't mean, do. Well, I think I would. Would you? Oh yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> one of my missions in life to write a book. Just well, one, just it. one. I, I, well, I have, I've recently finished it, actually, thank, but it took me five years, so I don't think I'll be doing five. <laughs> well, you see, the, that's the other thing I was going to say is you do, need, you do need a deadline. If you've got someone shouting at you, that does help to sort of speed, speed things up because I'm very good at being distracted. There's always a million different things going on in different places. And because, because I'm, um, my material 
is what's going on around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's almost like a, a, a bit of a vicious circle. In other words, I can't stop doing it because if I stop doing it, then I haven't got any material. So therefore, the big excuse when it comes to why aren't I writing anything is because I'm busy doing it. So you can imagine it's it's enough to sort of send you mad. But but I don't I don't sit and think. Okay, maybe I'm not like, things you don't. Maybe not <laughs> sit and think about being called that. But did you ever? I mean, we know that you have a passion for, for for books and for writing and that you love reading, mm. but did you ever actually think that you would have written no. this many no. books? Never. I guess that's what I mean. Never. Never, 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 ever. I, I didn't have the credentials on paper to write them. I really, I really was terribly underqualified and Ian English at GCSE level wasn't exactly looking that promising, was it? Um, I, was, I was a reader. I loved reading. And it was always nonfiction. So call me dull or whatever. You know, I was never into any kind of Dan Brown thriller, dystopian, anything. It was always it was always the same sort of stuff. It was about the countryside. I used to I just used to, you know, the Harriet books, the book Hill Shepherd, just anything at all. It was I don't know. I'd found that thing that for me was like the holy. It was like the holy grail. Sounds ridiculous. But for me, that was escapism. I was living a very sort of mundane suburban life, nothing wrong, nothing, just keeping my head down. And I could escape through those books and later the television series and take myself to these wild and wonderful places that I could see. I could see, you know, Huddersfield, you know, you could you could look out and you could see the moors and everything. And that just inspired me so much. And I wanted to be out there and I wanted to be... <laughs> I, want, I blame Ashley Jackson, the artist, because he used to come to class and take, take you out, sort of drawing up mirrors and painting. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, I can't dress it up and say, you know, that I was ever going to be the next Jane Eyre, which would have sounded probably better in literary circles. Mm. But it, it wasn't that. And when I found that connection with working outside and working in those environments in, in the form of a book that detailed the lives of, of shepherds, I was like, this is incredible. I mean... It, I mean, I know nowadays, it maybe it doesn't sound so incredible anymore because the world's got smaller. There's more information. Do you remember back in the good old days when you had like four television channels? And, and if you wanted to find something out, you had to go to the library. Yeah. That kind of thing. That was that was where I was at. I sound, so, I sound so ancient now. But that was it. So to find something that showed me pictures uh, of shepherds going about the work. For me, it was like, whew. Now you see, nowadays, everything's at our fingertips. We can find out anything and everything. So maybe, maybe that's taken away some of the mystique and magic. I don't know. Or maybe we're just better informed. I don't know. I think um, it's like you said before, you know, about the the realism of it, though. Like, people, people want to know about where you live and you know the covid also highlighted that actually people don't know that much about the countryside and that when everyone flooded out to use it that became quite apparent so i actually i actually think there is still a real interest in in the way that people live of course of course i think that there is i think also though there is the idea of something that is achievable yeah yeah yeah. reachable and touchable 
we we all we all see programs and leaf through magazines at the doctor's surgery with tropical islands and god knows what and we look maybe we dream maybe we don't actually i'm not right fussed it's 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 like you look at it and you're like but that's not me that's not happening whereas this it's still somewhere that you can go it's still somewhere that you can see it's still somewhere that you can actually sort of connect with yeah yeah and that's and I, I feel like you can't you can't throw this to people and say here look at this through the tv here i'm gonna write about this place but you can't come yeah yeah <laughs> so, so it's very important that you join the dots and it's very important that when people come what they see is what they get yeah it's not a film yeah. set it's not a studio. Yeah. It is as it is. At the moment, there is a discarded fencing machine right in the middle of the road because Ruben has left it there. I don't know why he's left it there, but it's irritating me. Yeah. There's numerous <laughs> discarded scooters, all the accoutrements. There's abandoned wheelbarrow. So it's a working farm. Yeah. It's not set. It's not. It's not picture perfect, but it's that. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I came up to see you about five years ago. Was it five years ago? Yeah, because I, I do. I think I remembered you because I, when I saw the hair, I was like, "Hey, I'm sure." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very um, well groomed, and I'm still looking equally as um, windswept as I did there. Oh no, <laughs> don't! It's literally <laughs> what I remember though is literally um, I, when I came to the farmhouse. I think I can't, was it Clemmy? Probably. Mm. That that long ago, but, like her face was literally pressed against yeah and I just thought yeah <laughs> this is it and this is what it's about like I just love that of course so, it is it's real yeah people will say people say have the kids not been affected by this they'd have to meet them and see how totally and utterly untouched yeah unbothered why because farming countryside is a great leveler yeah we're all just doing it we live in a rural area where everybody else is doing exactly the same yeah. thing we don't see ourselves as special or extraordinary we just happen to live at a very extraordinary beautiful inspiring yeah. place and if i hadn't have lived here i probably never would have um written anything yeah. it's the place yeah it's not it's not me. It rubs off on you. Yeah. Is my point. And that's why I say when you talk about women working, living, bringing up a family rurally, it does give you, it does give you a different way of thinking. It does give you a different kind of a, does give you a different kind of a, a mindset. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think it's just a bit more, well, kind of, I think it's that you're not maybe looking over your shoulder on comparing yourself just yeah. exactly the same. And that's why you do have to be careful on social media. Yeah. Because social 100%. media can sort of make it that you can wear your sort of um, fancy lace-up boots and your white jeans whilst you're sort of walking through the fields. But reality is it doesn't work like no. that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've yeah. got all in my welly at the moment. Yes, I've got, <laughs> yes, yes, I've got a skirt on. Yes, apparently that is the biggest crime since forever, but I don't care. 
Because if I can work and wander about and do what I do, I've gone over the stepping stones and got a wet foot this morning, going across the fields because there's been a flood last night. If I want to wear a skirt to go around my sheep, then I absolutely will. And it's not anybody else's business as to why yeah. I won't. Well, as I so, say, yeah. you do you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the book because I feel like we have I've not even yeah. touched on that yet. So it's part recipe book, part memoir. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a mishmash of all kinds of things. It's the tried and tested. If it ain't broke, why fix it? Yeah. More about there's photographs, pictures, tales, stories. It's basically what it's like to live and work with all the things you're not supposed to sort of work with, children and animals. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be something going on, isn't there? But obviously we've just touched on the fact, you know, about people maybe looking more local or, you know, going seasonal as well is is another term yeah. that gets banded around a lot, doesn't it? But um, is that something that you, you know, you genuinely believe in, like you think people well, look put it this way there's been a great cauliflower season apparently i was speaking to a cauliflower farmer now you see as a farmer everyone assumes that if you're a farmer you're a farmer so that's it yeah. through and through. but i know absolutely naff all about cauliflowers and you and me both. you're always learning you're always learning and there's always something going on with somebody you know all weather conditions but my cauliflower farmer that i chatted to said he'd had a brilliant cauliflower season so i thought right okay let's keep an eye on the cauliflower prices and sure enough it got to the stage where cauliflowers were 75 pence and it was like we can eat cauliflowers and they taste brilliant they're homegrown they're good for you they're one of your five a day and people are like but yeah how much cauliflower can you actually eat it's fab things you can do. You can actually make them into tiny little bits, make them into a healthy kind of a rice. You can make gobi aloos and sagaloos and the things that you eat. You can spice them up, mix them with some spinach, some broccoli, all kinds of things. I think, you know, you limit, you do tend to limit yourself. You think it's meat and two veg. And, you know, if you're going to live like that, that's a bit, it's a bit yawnsome, isn't it? People would get tired. They would get fed up. I like to, I like to buy things that have got, have got, um, got a bit of a story I like the connection I particularly like it if the kids can be involved I'm a farmer I love a free dinner the kids last night they were eating now what were they eating they were on believe it or not they were having cob nuts and sweet chestnuts because we'd managed to get a load of them um given they've got some apples in the fridge windfalls they'd fallen off trees I'm not saying for one minute you can eat we're not going we're not going out eating roadkill we can't, you know, we can't source everything for free or dig it up ourselves. But you can pull elements in. And if you can get your kids involved with that, they just they just love it. You know, get them peas in the pods. And any kid that hates peas will invariably start eating them because they can't help themselves. Yeah. In the it's pod, kind of like, the pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the pod. Eat them, love them. We've been picking, we've been picking mushrooms and all kinds of it. Again, depends where you live. It's that regional thing. There is no way that I could get sweet chestnuts and cob nuts. The cob nuts came from down south. I'm forgetting. I got them at a petrol station actually. There was a, someone had filled up like a kist. I think they were called. I think they were ha, Herefordshire Herefordshire cob nuts or something. Is that is that sort of celebrating these? short seasons of what is good stuff and it's like a treat you know you the kids were cooking them on the fire last night with yeah. salt and some honey on a fire shovel on a bit of foil it was dead basic so they were there cooking them over the open fire 
and then eating them and burning the mouth at the same time. And it was like, this is this is great. And then they don't get that for well, another year. You say they don't get that for another yeah. year. And also, you know, you say it's dead basic, but like, isn't that where like the magic happens? Of course, that's where the magic happens. It's that, look, if I'd have been out and bought a bag of nuts at the supermarket and sort of like prize them and said, here, probably wouldn't have been yeah. right, right fussed at all. They'd have eaten a few and then forgotten about it. But as it stands, it's the kind of like story of what goes with it. And it's kind of like trying to build up that enthusiasm. It's like the kids, the weekend. Violet is going through a stage where she just loves baking and cooking. So I'm like, well, what are you making today? If you're going to have the oven on, of course, then you need to make sure that you're being, um, you know, you're you're being mindful. That you've got the oven on and that costs in electricity. So you need to bake more than one thing. You need to be putting in this and that. So there was some um, vegetable cheese and vegetable pasties and she'd made some pastry and there was a quiche and there was a lemon cake. And then, of course, panic in the middle of it because, of course, there's no eggs. And there's no eggs. I'm like, there'll be some eggs. There's some eggs outside. I know there's some eggs somewhere in the bar. So then it's the kind of like going out, actually sourcing it, finding it. It's like the value that there is in that thing. Yeah. That's what that's what I love. Yeah. That's what I like. I've noticed there's, um, there's quite a few places now doing pick your own pumpkins. And there's even been talk of places, particularly where it's more arable, where there's actually been gleaning, where, you know, you've been able to go in at the invite at the bequest of a farmer to help clear a headland and get a few root vegetables for free if you've been invited. That's that's community spirit. Yeah. That's 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 good. That's that's good stuff. It's what it's what sort of brings brings people together, don't you think? I... Food food is what food is what binds us. I was reading something the other day that was saying the point that we became human, the point that we became I suppose civilized human beings was at the point when we learnt how to cook. Yeah. Up until that, we were something else. Once we learned about fire, once we learned about cooking, then we became somebody else. We became, we became, I suppose, communal. We became part of something. And isn't that a fact? We meet people to eat. We meet over a drink. We meet over food. That's what it's all about. I'm not a foodie. I'm not, I'm not master chef type. I just, I'm just someone who has a lot of people to feed. There was, I was counting up last night. I had all the kids because Raven was back from uni last night and there was two people helping out with the tubs and there was two friends. So that has 15 people. Yeah. There's 15 people and I never turn anybody away. You might get a bigger portion, you might get a little portion, but it's that kind of idea. It's like when people come to farms, if they come and lend a hand, you get fed. Mm. It's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 join you join in. It's 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 it, it's great. It's got to be something that unites us. And I think it has to be something that unites us, doesn't it? Oh, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be something that that divides us. It shouldn't be something that divides us because because uh, of of how much it's cost or what it's produced. We are so fortunate. We are so lucky to have choices, and that's why it's very very frustrating 
to see to see sort of activists throwing food around because they disagree with its production disagree you know contest whatever but i think the minute you start you start wasting yeah there's a line wasting food then i think you've taken it i think you've just i think it's self-defeating <laughs> there you go well I, I i did an interview the other week with um a lady called jenny jeffries um who uh has created a cookbook called for the love of the land but she said some you know she was like there's people starving in this country we all in have different this, opinions um, in this but we've country, all got to have a respect we have got to have a respect and it's not about sort of I don't I don't say shoving things down shoving, shoving ideas down other people's throats but there is usually an element of truth in everybody's argument but it's sort of picking through it and deciding what is right for you and always to remember that if you have choices you're fortunate yeah yeah <laughs> no. yeah absolutely. you are fortunate yeah no because there are plenty that don't have choices and we always have to be be mindful mindful of that we should not be living in a time when there are kids actually going hungry we should not be sort of seeing people relying on food banks and it has to start at grassroots level we have to kind of you know we have to sort of get that information and get that help out to, to the younger generation because you know it's it's just hard to get it into the system if you're already talking to your second and third generation people who maybe haven't got that level of understanding you know we need to be bringing back home economics it sounds so old-fashioned it's basic principles isn't it of self-survival <laughs> so obviously that like we were saying it's um you know a, a focus on the seasons autumn and winter is definitely when i feel like i come alive i can't lie like i literally love that like crisp frost in the air everything about cozy eating love dressing my two-year-old up in anything disgusting halloween yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, i was gonna say we've got that is exactly it yes last week it dropped down to 0.2 degrees today it is absolutely brass monkeys it is so cold but you know what there is the most beautiful light this time of year it's the contrast the sky the leaves it's just we've still got that last flush of grass it hasn't nipped it off yet yeah i mean you know the cattle will be coming in soon but it's really stark i feel like i mean even even today just looking out it it almost feels like everything's being dialed up mm. do you know what i mean the mm. color in summer, you, yeah, you've got the blue skies. Yeah, you've got the hay meadows. Yeah, you've got the colour. But there's something about autumn yeah. that, I don't know, it just... Well, firstly as well, also, you kind of feel, particularly here, you're left to your own devices. The tourists have gone. You're back to it. You're heading... You're heading... Well, it's been sale time. The cattle coming in. You start... Everything's... It's a bit of a reset, there yes. is that idea that also you you eat differently, you dress differently. I don't know. It's it's a it's a cozy time, isn't it? And it's so short lived because with us, spring and autumn, they they don't appear to go on for any great stretch. We seem to lurch from from pretty much 
the end of summer to winter. Yeah. Just a little bit in between. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I do get that. Is it, is, yeah. do you have a particular favourite season? Is it, is, or would you say? Well, do you, I, I, do you know what? I love winter. Yeah. And I shouldn't say that, but I do love winter because it's you versus it. Yeah. It's you versus nature. Come on, bring it on. Yeah. Snow, freeze. Go on, try and catch me out. Freeze the water. Make it so that the cow's trough doesn't work. Do everything. Yeah. Make it so that I can't get anywhere. Make it so that I can't move out. See what you can do. Yeah. Uh, it'll catch me. It'll always come and bite me on yeah. the back. <laughs> but you Absolutely. gave it a good go, Amanda. <laughs> And then lambing time comes and I'm supposed to say, oh, yeah, lambing time is the best time of year, bringing your life into the world. But you know what? Lambing time is so tiring. Yeah. I can't wait for the end of lambing time. So probably favourite month's June because basically you have lambed everything. There's probably two still standing sort of sort of forlornly in the field that haven't lambed and you know they're going to be trouble. But everybody else has gone back to the moor and your tourists have come back. And for a little while, it's like, yay, can't wait to see people again. It soon wears off. But, you know, it's, it's June, green, yeah. green everywhere. It's so coming alive. You've got chicks, insects, buzzing, birds, peel the hair off, peel the hair off your legs, yeah. take your wellies off, <laughs> put everything in the whole robe cupboard and refuse to get it back out, refuse to get the leggings out, refused to get I've actually I've succumbed got a jumper the out jumper. yeah <laughs> I've, got a jumper. I've gone for another layer but you know we're not going whole hog no. just yet yeah. I'm still I'm still I'm still I've still You're got clinging. the skirt on I'm still yeah I'm still I'm, I'm not totally sort of sold on it yet but yeah. you know it'll get there I'm sure but yeah it's it's it is it's it's gorgeous at the moment it's beautiful it's it's yeah it's it's coming to, to to that time. It's coming up to tupping time, so it'll be busy, busy. Yeah. So thinking about the you know the recipe parts of your book, is there mm. a, a go to autumn recipe? Is there one that you want to particularly highlight, or is it? Oh, kind yeah, of a... I love a tagine. Right, I love a tagine because people go, huh? Yeah. It's like a tagine. <laughs> when all it is is a stew, isn't it? Yes. I like. I'd like anything that sounds better than what it is. It's like saying, yes, we're having a doorbay. Eh? It's a stew. It's just it's just a stew from a different part of the world. And anything that you can use, the basic ingredients, yeah. and yeah. make it smell fabulous and sort of bling it up. That's what we had yesterday when I had the 15 um, yeah. for tea because it was great. I had some chicken, so I used chicken. It was all your spices. There was cumin. There was chili, there was garlic, there was onions. It was just, there was coriander and it smelt fabulous. And it's one of those one pot dishes. Yeah. So anything that I can prepare in about 10 minutes and then forget about for anywhere between one or two hours yeah. or maybe even like anything that's forgiving enough. We're no good with any exacting timings here because I will forget. So shove it in the oven open the top and all of a sudden it's a bit like a biryani it's all because uh, i put the rice in it and then um we had some couscous and then at the last minute Rave was like oh we need to put something else in it i was like what what can we do so she put cranberries 
and apricots, which oh, people nice. were like, oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. But actually, it makes it look beautiful. Mm. Anything that you can eat with your eyes, that it smells great. And there was actually even a little bit left over that scoffed this dinner time again. So they... <laughs> but I think that's, and... that's what you were saying before, you know, about... Um... You know, we're headed. We are in a time where people might be struggling to even even buy food. We yeah. all need. We all need to know these basics of cooking. Of a stew is the perfect yeah. example, isn't it? Well, of course it is. But you see, the other thing is as well um, how one meal morphs into the next. This might yeah. sound disgusting, but but what I'm saying is, you usually tend to find the elements of one dish will actually be chucked into the next dish. Yeah. So it's more of an ongoing kind of a thing. You know, we'd have you know chicken and then of course you'd have you'd actually have your chicken dinner yeah. which is always a winner and then you then you would have the bits of chicken and they could go on a pizza and then the next day you'd be using the carcass to make soup and into the soup you would also have the rind out of your stilton that you'd left in the fridge and hadn't done anything with and then that goes into give there are so many things that you can pull together i don't like wasting things no i don't like wasting anything at all and it's just like, how can I use this? Sometimes I will sort of be very careful to leave a certain amount of something so it can go over into the next day's, into the, the next day's cooking. I can't, I mean, I did that at Christmas and people were horrified when I said that actually Christmas dinner was great, but the next day dinner was yeah. what everybody liked even more, the which was pretty much meal. homemade potato chips and gravy with the slices cooked in the gravy with the leftover stuffing and it's like oh my goodness it's such a people pleaser we don't have to be snobby about this kind of thing isn't that weird though that people find it weird to use leftovers like that in itself is is a strange societal concept like well don't you think that that's where most things evolved if you look at bread and butter pudding nobody thought that was a great idea i'll go out and like buy a loaf of yeah. bread to do that i'll use this like, I, loaf. <laughs> I mean i'm always the same you know you get those lovely nutty brown granary loaves the crust is always too fat to go in a toaster so it always kind of gets left to go stale yeah. and i just stick it in a food processor was it up for about 30 seconds breadcrumbs and then chuck it in a bag or in a box and put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And then you can make your own things with breadcrumbs. So I like when I was saying out making cauliflower cheese, if you can have some neat seeds and nuts and sunflower seeds and chuck them on the top with the breadcrumbs, then you've got a crispy, crunchy, delicious topping. They won't eat cauliflower cheese without that bit now. And again, it's like, well, woohoo, I haven't wasted that bread. I mean, to be honest with you, it wouldn't have gone to waste. I'd have fed it to the chickens anyway, but it's that kind of, it's that kind of idea of waste not want not yeah yeah 100% absolutely mm. um just going back to what you said about this, you said something oh this might be disgusting but there is a famous story on my husband's family side about I think it was his granddad who used to have a stew on the cooker top um mm. I don't know how true this is but apparently would never throw it away just kept adding things yeah. to, adding things to it topping it up a bit of water a bit of you know a bit I of this and that, that. One of the first places I ever went to work at when I was contract shepherding, it used to be over at Solcal near Penrith. And it was an old gentleman I used to go and work for. I used to help him look out his cows and do general sort of farm work. I used to go once a week. And 
he would literally have a housekeeper come in one day a week and she would tidy everything up, sort out his washing and make him a stew. And that went on until the next week when yeah. literally she revitalised it and started it again. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, but what about... But we've even had a bit of a backlash with the supermarkets and their sort of best before dates, et cetera, mm. et cetera. I feel like there is a, quite a lot of room for manoeuvre when it comes to, to not wasting things. Yes, certain things are absolutely best when they're toasting up the fresh soft fruits. They have such a short shelf life. I was getting strawberries that were slightly, well, rather a lot quite past their best. They weren't fluffy, mm. but they were squashy. And it's like, right, we can make smoothies. We can make ice cream. We can do... What can you do with strawberries that you've paid 20p a punnet for? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's like, that's it. Yeah. I'm the queen of being able to use things up. I don't, I like to get to completely zero, if you say to me. I yeah. mean, hopefully you don't actually get to completely zero, but that is sort of like the end game. I want to use everything. I don't want to have something in the back of the fridge. I think it's... That's stuck there for ages. Yeah. Hmm? It's, it's people knowing what they can do, isn't it? And I think that's the that's where we need to kind of up that bit of knowledge, isn't it? Let, letting people know what they can do with it if they have, you know. Yeah, it's about, it's about putting in the basics. Yeah. It's like with, with, with Violet, it's like giving them the materials and saying, right, okay, you're going to have to learn by your mistakes. You're going to make some mistakes. But once you've actually got the basics, if you know the actual concept, it's almost like, it's almost like a, a sort of, as a science in a way, in that if you can get the basics, if you know how to make a roux, if you know how to make a white sauce, if you know how to saute things, if you can work out that certain things require certain amounts of time to cook, then you can actually cook from zero. Yeah. You can cook anything. You can have you can have lentils, you can have split peas, you can have carrots, you can have onions. If you get the idea of how long each one of those elements takes to cook and what the best way is to cook it, then the world is your oyster. You can make things from scratch. And it doesn't have to be labour intensive and it doesn't have to be expensive. We don't all have to have an agar sitting in the corner of the kitchen. Like your jaggy potatoes, done in a microwave. But you know what? You can set them off in a microwave and take away the sort of the the sort of um that i was in an oven with it using electricity yeah. and finish it off just quickly to crisp it up on the outside just differences like that yeah, yeah. You know? i think it's just small mm-hmm. tweaks isn't it to every aspect buying buying your food cooking your food everything can everything can be done up and everything can be sort of dumbed down yeah yeah and that was really important that although i could in the recipes say well you know this is how we got this element. We foraged this, we found this. With, but you can go to Aldi and still get. Yeah. There are brilliant farmers out there who have green fingers and can make fantastic, brilliant produce and grow it so unbelievably well and have it on the supermarket shelves. And you can buy for 50 pence. 60 pence. If you've ever tried growing, I, I mean, I try, you know, I've grown radishes and potatoes and carrots and all the rest of it. The effort and skill it takes yeah. 
to grow these things. Yeah. You imagine there are people out there who can do that on a large scale and can do it well. Yeah. We have got to champion them. I'm a farmer, yeah. but I can't grow stuff for toffee. You know, I, I, I do what I do. Yeah. And I do lambs. You know, you guide right grow, growing mushrooms, you chap who's sort of um, growing onions, all the rest of it. They are, they have it to such a level. We shouldn't ever sort of overlook the skill and effort it takes to get that produce onto our shelves. Yeah. 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 100%. Hmm. Um, okay. So, my last. Uh, I'd like you to leave the listeners really with a kind of um, a last bit about your book and about what you know oh. what you want them to to get from it and what it's all about. Um, what would I like listeners to get from from the book? I'd like them. To, I'd like it to raise a smile. They don't have to take it too seriously. Just something that they can dip into. Maybe, maybe raise a smile. Enjoy it something to talk about hopefully a few of the recipes you could try them out hopefully you could even sit back and make your little offsprings try them out that would be even better and again as as i wrote in the forward very carefully these recipes are here to be adapted these recipes are there to be made your own it's just a starting block you know just I don't know. See what you can see. We can find experiment, but don't take it all on your own shoulders. It's the it's the kiddies. That's who we need to be on side. That's who we need to be involving in the whole food story. If we can get them on side and get them enthusiastic, then the future's safe, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think it goes back to as well what you said before about this is enjoyment, isn't it? At the base of this all, you have to in, you have to enjoy sitting down with a, a cracking meal with the people you love. End Absolutely. of. Absolutely. It's, it's, it really is that back to basics. It is that simple. And that was all that I was writing about. I want anyone reading that book to sort of feel it as being, I suppose, in a way, a kind of a hug saying, you know what, we've got all these things going on, but there are some things that that remain and some things that will always unite unite us in the countryside, farming, food, people. That is what it's all about. Wherever you go in the world, that is, you know, that that translates, doesn't it? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast at home with Amanda Owen. Uh, If you enjoyed, don't forget to subscribe to the Over the Farmgate podcast so you don't miss these brand new monthly episodes and who we're at home with next.